This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The fog hung low that morning, kissing the cobblestone streets. It had rolled in on the Mississippi after a terrible storm the night before. A haze now lay over the Crescent City, the city of New Orleans. As the legend goes, the storm brought something with it. They say an angel of death came in the night, shrouded in darkness. And in its wake, left behind a scene of carnage, so unspeakable that it churned to the stomach of even the most hardened soul. The port was already bustling with merchants and tradesmen. You could hear the steam engines as they whirred down the harbor. But nearby, in the French Quarter, things were still. The world was not yet awake. The residents of Dauphine Street could not have prepared themselves for the terror that daylight would reveal. It was a neighbor, out on an early morning stroll, who discovered it. The first hint that something was off was the silence. For months, they had suffered through the seemingly endless rabble coming from 716 Dauphine Street. But on this particular morning, the house was completely silent. Eerily so. A foul smell hung in the air, sharp and pungent, so strong it could knock you over. But what was it? A smell like metal. Yes, metal. Iron, in fact. The neighbor could almost taste it. But where... Strange... One look at the Gardet La Pretre mansion, and he could tell something wasn't right. The house, possibly the tallest in the French Quarter, was an imposing pink building, standing four stories high, with ornate cast-iron wraparound galleries on each floor. For the past few months, ever since they had arrived, all the windows had been shuttered. Usually menacing guards carrying scimitars patrolled the balconies around the clock, while others stood at attention at the main entry gate. But today, curiously, no one was there. In fact, the gate wasn't even closed. Typically, chains were wrapped around the handles, held together by a giant padlock. But now, the chains hung loose banging in the wind against the heavy door. As the neighbor drew near to investigate, he stepped in something. Sticky. Something black. Hmm. Tar? No. He bent down to get a better look. On closer inspection, he could see it was actually a dark red. 
a horrible realization washed over him. Flowing from under the door was a river of blood. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Gardette La Pretra Mansion in New Orleans. Or as it is more commonly known, the Sultan's Palace. And discover why. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. New Orleans, the Big Easy. Walk the streets and you'll see a town unstuck from time. Known for its distinct French and Spanish Creole architecture, it's a city that wears its history proudly on its sleeve. The city is duality personified, the old and the new living as one. You'll find wrought iron balconies coupled with neon bar signs. Voodoo temples and shops live in strange harmony with the historic Catholic cathedrals. New Orleans is cited as the most haunted city in America. And some would argue it's for good reason. The city is no stranger to loss. Since its birth, you could say death has been embedded in its DNA. And perhaps because of that, its dark past doesn't quite stay in the past. It's a tragic history of fires, floods, disease, and bloodshed. There were the Great New Orleans Fires. The first, in 1788, destroyed nearly 80% of all the city's buildings. Reconstruction had barely begun when a second fire swept the city, followed by two hurricanes. In the mid-1800s, yellow fever became a regular fixture of New Orleans summers. In 1853, the worst year of the epidemic, over 8,000 people died. Bodies were buried, 50 to a pit. Many believe that so much death has scarred the land itself, leaving it in a perpetual state of spiritual turmoil. Because the dead are unable to pass over into the afterlife, the city has become a a little crowded, overflowing with restless spirits. A popular attraction of New Orleans culture is their paranormal tours. From vampires to voodoo, you'll find something from just about every corner of the supernatural realm. In the French Quarter, it's been said you can throw a stone in any direction and hit a haunted place. Careful though, you wouldn't want to disturb anything unnatural. Come on, let's take a mini ghost tour of our own. 
Our walking tour begins on Royal Street with the LaLaurie Mansion, the notorious home of Madame Delphine LaLaurie, Creole socialite and notorious serial killer. Delphine converted the attic of her lavish abode into a torture chamber where she carried out gruesome experiments on her slaves. Her heinous crimes included breaking and resetting their bones in unnatural positions, drilling holes in their skulls, and removing their organs while they were still alive. Just a few blocks over, we make our way to Bourbon Street and Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar. Step inside the candlelit bar and have a drink. But keep an eye out for the original owner, pirate Jean Lafitte. He's said to watch over the patrons, ready to strike down anyone who steals his riches. Our last stop is one that is particularly shrouded in mystery. 716 Dauphine Street. A 2013 real estate listing claimed it was, quote, one of the most photographed and admired properties in the French Quarter. But the listing conveniently neglects to tell you why. Although it's officially referred to as the Gardet Le Pretre Mansion, locals know it by another name, the Sultan's Palace, named after its infamous ghostly inhabitant. Legend has it, the mansion was the site of a bloody massacre. In 1836, Philadelphia-born dentist Joseph Colton Gardet broke ground on a mansion on the corner of Dauphine and Orland Street. The result was impressive. It was the tallest building in the French Quarter and the first to have a basement. Inside, the ceilings were higher than any other home in the city. Gardet didn't stay long, however. He sold it just three years later to wealthy Creole businessman, Jean-Baptiste Lapretre. The mansion became a showpiece for his considerable wealth. With several extravagant additions, including its now famous wraparound cast iron balconies, the home was known for its luxury. It became the center for Creole culture in New Orleans. An invitation to a party at the Lapretre mansion was a mark of your social standing. But then the Civil War erupted in 1861. As with many other rich Southern families, the Lapretre's financial stability crumbled. The burden of maintaining the home became too much to bear. Lapretre was desperate to find a new tenant. The answer to his prayers would soon arrive in the harbor. In the 1870s, a mysterious stranger from Turkey, his real name lost to history, sought out Lapretre. He said he was a merchant working for a wealthy sultan. He wanted to rent the mansion for his employer who would be arriving soon. The merchant explained that the sultan planned to use his considerable wealth to convert the quintessential Creole home into a tribute to decadence, where his every pleasure could be satisfied. Le Pretre was so desperate for financial help that he had no choice but to agree. 
No doubt he was relieved to finally be free of the burden the house was putting on his already dwindled fortune. The Sultan soon arrived in a vessel of war. It was an intimidating sight, to be sure. He was accompanied by a large entourage, which included servants, bodyguards, and a vast harem of beautiful women. The women were dressed in silks and satins of vivid hues. The guards wore dark military clothing and carried long bayonets and deadly scimitars. The servants carried his vast riches with them, chests full of jewels and gold, gilded furniture, vibrant embroideries and tapestries, massive Persian rugs, and exotic art. The procession must have been a sight to behold as it paraded from the docks through the French Quarter all the way to 716 Dauphine. All of New Orleans gathered in the streets to watch. Even the richest in the community were amazed at the sight of his vast fortune. Such extravagance had never been seen before. He was met with great respect by city officials and financial leaders, especially after he used his gold to establish a line of credit with every bank in town. People were thrilled to have such a fascinating ruler among their social elite. But once the Sultan moved in, he immediately had the entire house bolted up. The iron gates were chained and locked. Heavy drapes were hung on all the windows, preventing anyone from peering inside. Guards armed with scimitars stood watch night and day, ready to kill anyone who got too close. What was once a welcoming home was now a fortress shrouded in mystery. Many of New Orleans' social elite were offended. Invitations to the La Pretre Mansion were no longer forthcoming. They soon realized that not one among them had been invited inside since the Sultan arrived. Rumors spread about what was happening behind closed doors. Hardly anyone was seen leaving or entering the home. Local merchants were instructed to drop off goods on the doorstep. Their payment was then left out for them the next morning. Yet the house was constantly alive with the sounds of parties. Music filled the air along with women's laughter. The smell of incense and opium wafted out into the streets. Speculation began of what the town assumed were the Sultan's all-night orgies. Whispers of far more sinister acts were spreading as well. Her feet were killing her. It had been another long night doling out drinks to glassy-eyed drunks down at the bar. She'd become deft at bobbing and weaving through the sea of intoxicated patrons and deflecting their unwanted attention. It could be altogether exhausting most nights, but she smiled when she heard the jingle of coin in her pocket as she walked down the cobblestone street. All that mattered was that she went home with their money at the end of the night. It was dark out so she found herself darting from lamplight to lamplight like a moth. She thought to herself how funny that was, 
the notion of feeling more safe in the light. The light itself couldn't protect her from harm. Suddenly, the thought was less amusing. She picked up her pace, turning on Dauphine Street. It was a sticky, humid night, but whenever she walked down the street, she felt a chill. It was that house. She heard the rumors, but tried to brush them aside. Gossip had a way of getting out of hand in this town. But she couldn't help shudder being so close to it now. What was it that made her feel so uneasy tonight? The barmaid looked up, and then she saw him. There on the top balcony, a shadowed figure was watching her. His eyes glinted in the light from the street lamps. She knew then, those eyes belonged to the Sultan. It took everything in her to break his hypnotic gaze. She started to run. She was so close to home now, she just had to make it to her front door. She saw it, the front door. She knew if she could just reach it, she'd be safe. But what was that sound? She turned. He was so tall that she ran directly into her pursuer's chest. Disoriented, she looked up to see a massive figure towering over her, one of the Sultan's guards. A second guard crept up behind her and pulled back her arms to bind them. Then the guards gagged her mouth with a cloth. She kicked and struggled, but she couldn't fight them both off. As they dragged her away, she was plagued by one overwhelming thought. She shouldn't have stopped running. After the Sultan arrived, beautiful women began to disappear from the streets of New Orleans. The Sultan often watched passerbys from the mansion's top floor balcony. When he spotted a particularly beautiful woman, he commanded his men to kidnap her and bring her back to his palace. The women became new additions to his harem. As the months passed, the neighbors became used to the non-stop sounds of revelry. They assumed the noise was an unfortunate fixture in their community. But soon, the sounds of laughter and ecstasy were replaced with blood-curdling screams of terror. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, back to haunted places. After buying the house at 716 Dauphine Street in the 1870s, the Sultan disappeared from public view. The house remained closed to all, save for the Sultan's entourage. Until one night, when a terrible storm hit the city, the citizens of New Orleans took refuge indoors, closing their shutters and waiting out the thunder and rain. Even the Sultan's guards sought shelter that night. The conditions outside became so severe that they abandoned their posts for the warmth and safety inside, breaking their sworn oath to protect the mansion at all costs. This left the mansion in a rare state of vulnerability. It was a mistake, 
that would haunt the guards for eternity. Under cover of the storm, a strange ship pulled into the harbor, bearing a crescent banner. A group of assassins disembarked and made their way into town. They snuck through the shadows toward the Sultan's palace. No one saw them make their way to the front gates and break inside. No one heard what happened next as the thunderclaps, torrential rains, and gale-force winds covered the sounds of screams and carnage. The young officer was roused by the piercing noise of a woman's scream echoing down the street. He rushed to where he thought it came from. It was easy to get turned around, especially in the morning mist. And the way the noise bounced off the buildings in the French Quarter was disorienting. As he rounded Dauphine Street, he saw a small group of neighbors had already gathered. At first, they looked relieved to see an officer in uniform. But their relief quickly vanished once they saw his face. His age was always undermining his authority. Now, they shared a look of pity for him. And dread. The crowd parted, revealing the blood. There was just so much. It pooled onto the sidewalk and spilled out onto the streets, coming out of the Sultan's palace. The stench of death was so thick, he had to hold back throwing up his morning coffee. Dear God, he thought, what mad scene could possibly be behind that door? His mind raced. He'd heard stories of the elusive Sultan and his debaucherous parties. Rumors swirled of the foul activities that went on in the Sultan's lair. He had seen exotic animals brought in. Was this the result of a ritual sacrifice? What sort of sick and twisted thing were they up to in there? He'd seen those guards with their strange swords. Was this their doing? After all, they were missing from their usual posts. He hoped he wouldn't have to take them into custody. He certainly was no match against their wicked blades. Maybe he should just run for help. This was better left to an officer with more experience. But then, he remembered the faces of the women he'd seen that day, when they had been paraded down the street, before they had been shut away indefinitely. What if one of those women needed his help? He couldn't spend any more time dawdling. He said a quick prayer and heaved his shoulder into the front door, ramming it open. It took a moment for his eyes to adjust to the dim light. The first thing he saw was red. The walls, the floors, even the furniture were all painted in a deep red. Oh, no, not paint. He looked down. There at his feet were two eyes staring up at him. It was one of the women from the harem. Death's cruel kiss had drained the life from her once beautiful face. The face was no longer attached to a body. It was just her severed head lying there. 
next to it was a large male torso. That's when he realized the horrific pattern. A sea of human limbs had been scattered across the entire room. It was too much for his mind to process. The young officer's vision blurred, and he lost his footing, passing out onto the bloody floor. The scene the New Orleans police found that day was an image of hell on earth. Never before had any of them witnessed such depraved carnage. The assassins who arrived the night before had slaughtered every single man and woman who resided in the Sultan's palace. No one was spared. Some of the bodies were flayed open. All were dismembered. The police didn't have the means of getting an accurate death count. They didn't even try. It was impossible to determine which limbs belonged to which bodies. The smell of blood was so strong that the police officers couldn't even step inside. A few turned back, only to vomit on the sidewalk. The blood-soaked Persian rugs squished under the officers' feet as they made their way from room to room. Each brought on a new, gory nightmare. The house was ransacked. All of the Sultan's riches were gone. Expensive artwork was missing from the walls. Anything that couldn't be taken had been destroyed. The gate leading out of the mansion's courtyard was busted open, barely hanging on by its hinges. Outside, the soil was still wet from the previous night's storm. Muddy footprints led out to the courtyard. The trail ended in signs of a struggle. From what the police could tell, several large men had dragged someone, kicking and screaming through the mud. But who? The police searched everywhere, but no body was found. As they were heading back inside, one of the officers noticed something peculiar in the distance. It looked like a leather glove sticking out of the ground. When he drew closer to inspect it, the horrifying realization set in. It wasn't a glove. It was a human hand. The officers dug up the newly created grave and discovered the body of the Sultan himself. Apparently, the assassins had reserved a different hellish death for the royal. His face was contorted in abject terror. His body had been tortured for what must have been hours. The officers wondered if he was forced to watch as his guards and harem were all slaughtered in front of him. The medical examiner soon confirmed that the Sultan was the last to die. After slaughtering his entire entourage, the assassins must have thrown the Sultan into a freshly dug hole and shoveled heavy mud on top of him, burying him in the makeshift grave. Alive. There was mud caked under the dead man's fingernails, and the last few minutes of the Sultan's life were a nightmare as he clawed his way out of his makeshift grave. With his last breath, 
His hand finally broke the surface, but it was in vain. He suffocated to death, choking on the soil from his own grave. The assassins placed a message over his body, scrawled on paper. It read, The justice of heaven is satisfied, and the date tree shall grow on the traitor's tomb. The police, out of their depths, were left with no leads. The mysterious ship that had arrived in the harbor the night before was now long gone. None of the neighbors heard or saw anything. Or if they did, perhaps they were too frightened to speak. Rumors spread rapidly through the town about the Sultan's tragic end. It seemed everyone had his or her own theory. The most prominent was that the Sultan was actually the brother of a Sultan. Locals believed that he had fled Turkey with large quantities of his brother's golden riches, as well as several women from his harem. If that's true, perhaps the massacre was the result of the real Sultan tracking down his wayward brother. Had he sent his royal assassins to seek revenge and reclaim his fortune? Some in town argued that the assassins were actually the crew of a warship that initially brought the Sultan and his vast fortune to New Orleans. Having caught sight of his immense wealth, they bided their time and waited for the perfect moment to strike. Another theory states that the Sultan was actually not a Sultan, or even a native of Turkey at all, but rather a pirate captain, masquerading as foreign royalty and his royal court and harem were actually his band of pirates and stolen women. After all, some noticed the Sultan had blondish hair and fair skin, and there's no evidence of a brotherly squabble among Turkish royalty, making it unlikely our Sultan was a true member of the royal family. Was the massacre the result of a feud against a rival pirate crew? Angered by the fake sultan, they found his hiding place, slaughtered his men, and stole the fortune. Unfortunately, we'll probably never know. There are no historical records of the event. Many believe that local authorities destroyed all evidence of the massacre ever occurring, possibly in some haphazard attempt to erase the stain from their city's history. In 1878, not long after the massacre, the Citizens Bank of New Orleans foreclosed on the mansion. No doubt this was embarrassing for La Pretre. The bitter irony being that he had been a founding member and had even helped form it in his own parlor. The era of decadence of the La Pretre mansion had ended. But at what cost? What began as a celebration of Creole culture and life was now a mausoleum. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to our story. Tainted by its dark past, the mansion eventually fell into ruin. In the late 1800s, it was converted into slum housing for Italian immigrants. 
for one of the tenants, moving in would prove deadly. She was a clothes washer by trade and often used the balconies to hang dry clothes. She was always so careful, making sure not to get too close to the railing. After all, she was on the fourth floor. But one day, while she was working on the top gallery, something happened. Perhaps it was all the wet clothes, drip drying, that made the floor slick. Maybe she accidentally dropped a piece of clothing and on instinct reached out to catch it. But in doing so, she leaned just a little too far over the side. Or maybe she was pushed. She plummeted to the pavement below. The impact killed her instantly. The other tenants were certainly spooked. They claimed her death was no accident at all. They believed she was pushed by one of the angry spirits who dwelled there. This, after all, was not the first time they had seen or felt the presence of something supernatural. A darkness lay over the house. Was the woman killed by the spirit of one of the Sultan's guards after failing to keep his watch on the night of the massacre? Perhaps he was doomed to safeguard the balcony throughout eternity. Even in death, he was protecting the house. For a time, Gardette La Pretre sat uninhabited once again. At least, not by anyone living. In the 1950s, the mansion became a low-income boarding house for those who were struck down of their luck. Virgie Gypsy Poston moved in during the late 1950s. She was a young, aspiring dancer, hoping to make her big break in the Big Easy. Of course, it was only a matter of time before she'd become a star. But until then, money was scarce, and she needed an affordable place to live. At first, she wasn't sure why people were so wary of the house on Dauphine Street. She noticed locals tended to cross the street just to avoid having to walk past it. And sure, it was in serious need of repairs. Dead vines ran up and down the sides, and the pink paint was faded. To her, it looked like a cliched haunted house from a Vincent Price film. But it was all she could afford. Haunted houses were just in films anyway. She rented the downstairs front apartment. Two bedrooms. Not bad, considering how cheap the rent was. The high ceilings and worn-down features hinted it was once a nice place to live. But those days were long gone. She kept her door locked. The neighborhood was a little rough, and she didn't exactly feel safe. One night, she woke up to an eerie feeling. Something was off. Her eyes quickly adjusted to the dark. That's when she saw him. A strange-looking man with blonde hair standing at the foot of her bed, leering at her. She quickly reached for the lamp. But when the light came on, the room was suddenly empty. How did he escape so quickly? 
a man was clearly in the room with her just seconds ago. Now, nothing. She searched the entire apartment and even checked the front door. <laughs> Still locked. She tried to convince herself that it was only a hallucination, a waking nightmare. After all, it was impossible for anyone to get in and out so quickly without her noticing. Reassured by reason, she drifted back to sleep. But the next night came, and with it, that same eerie feeling. She awoke and found the man standing at the edge of her bed, watching her. She blinked several times, thinking her eyes were playing tricks on her. But when she reopened them, he was still there. He started moving toward her side of the bed. He reached out for her. She panicked and switched the lamp on, this time never taking her eyes off him. Once again, he disappeared. Thoroughly spooked, she decided that from now on she wasn't going to risk it. She abandoned her things and temporarily moved in with a girlfriend until she could find a new apartment. She still wasn't sure she had seen a ghost. Perhaps it was a local creeper who somehow found a way to access her apartment? There must have been a rational explanation. But then, Virgie chanced upon a local newspaper article about the legend of the Sultan's Palace. Reading the gruesome details made her stomach churn. She was shocked to discover that the palace in the story was actually her boarding house. The article even gave a description of the Sultan, an imposing figure with blonde hair. Could it be? Was this describing the man she saw in her apartment? The article also mentioned that he kidnapped women off the streets to add to his harem. Is that why he was staring at her? Was he sizing her up? A shudder ran through her entire body. There was no way she was ever going to spend another night in that cursed place. Who knew what the spirit had in store for her next? She and her girlfriend went over to the apartment and gathered her things. They managed to get everything out without incident, but as she stood in the doorway, locking up one last time, they suddenly heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the inky darkness at the top of the staircase. The two women froze in fear. The scream ended in a horrific gurgle, as if someone slit the victim's throat. With this, they both ran for their lives out onto the city streets, never to return. To this day, the Sultan is one of New Orleans' most famous ghosts. No haunted tour is complete without a stop at his infamous palace. People claim to have seen him standing at one of the windows, peering down. Of course, he's particularly fond of the beautiful women that pass by. Even from the sidewalk, people have heard faint music in the air, along with the 
distant sounds of revelry, laughter, coupled with the sounds of ecstasy. Often, the thick scent of incense can be made out, even when no one is burning any. Residents are said to have seen members of the Sultan's entourage wandering the halls. The spirits are known to move freely from room to room, with little regard for their current occupants. Some tenants have even heard the sound of phantom footsteps coming from the balconies, as if the Sultan's guards are still pacing during their evening watch. Other times, they reported the sound of frantic running down the hallways, desperate souls fleeing the attack of an assassin. And on nights when a particularly bad storm hits, disembodied screams have been heard echoing through the halls, as if the tortured spirits are reliving their slaughter all over again. One tenant moved into the building with his dog. The animal, which never had problems before, had become unusually skittish after the move. He refused to step foot in the living room unless his owner physically carried him in. One day, the man recalled going downstairs to the laundry room in the basement. His dog was again behaving strangely, growling at something unseen on the staircase. He called out to his dog, trying to calm him, but the dog wasn't listening. Something or someone was commanding the pet's attention. The dog flattened his ears, clearly frightened. Suddenly, the man watched as his dog was violently shoved down the stairs by an unseen attacker. The dog was thankfully okay, but he and his owner were both naturally shaken. After the incident, the dog refused to enter the basement ever again. One commonality among the many hauntings is that the Sultan targets women. Virgie Poston was not the only woman to find herself in the Sultan's gaze. In 1966, husband and wife Frank and Jean D'Amico bought the mansion, along with their business partner, Anthony Vesich Jr. They planned to renovate the aging building into luxury apartments, breathing new life into the once opulent property. Locals gave them strange looks when they told them which building they had purchased. They didn't pay much attention to it. They were in love with the place. They even moved into the property themselves. One night, Jean woke to an unsettling feeling. There, at the foot of her bed, she saw him. A man was staring at her. A hungry look in his eyes. Jean became a believer that night. As far as she's concerned, the spirit of the Sultan still roams the halls, looking for more women to add to his harem. In 2013, the mansion was sold once again. The new owner is skeptical of all the legends surrounding the property. She claims that none of her tenants have ever moved out because of a ghost. But she does admit to one thing. Keys often go missing in the building. Hmm. Could it be the ghosts of the Sultan's guards? 
desperately trying to lock up before it's too late. These days, if you step out in the courtyard of the Gardet La Pretre mansion, one thing still stands out. The large, imposing tree. It's twisted, perhaps cursed. Locals call it the Tree of Death. You might notice that it's growing at a strange angle. Its roots push out through the bricks, almost as if trying to break free. It looks as if it's reaching out toward the city street outside, desperate to escape. Most just say it's an ugly tree, but you know better. This is the final resting place of the Sultan. Recall the assassin's message left over the Sultan's body. The justice of heaven is satisfied, and the date tree shall grow on the traitor's tomb. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. We'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Brandon Botta and Casey Tillette Botta. I'm Greg Polson.